Hebrews 11, 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Just a little hint in this verse. By faith Noah, he did something before it happened. Things not seen as yet. He believed that what God said would happen would happen. He acted on the word of God before there was evidence of that. Amen. I want to minister today on the theme, build an ark. God bless you. Please be seated. There's a tremendous amount of mystery that surrounds the flood, the worldwide flood in Noah's day. Many questions, lots of scientific research, speculation, and also information about life before the cataclysmic flood. Uh, we don't know a lot of the details, but we do know some things about what is known as the antediluvian age, anti before diluvian flood, life before the flood. There was a canopy of water vapor that covered the earth. The temperature was probably more constant. Land masses were more consolidated and worldwide lush vegetation. According to Genesis 2, 5, and 6, every plant of the field was on the earth, herbs and grass, and the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, but there was a the mist that went up from the earth that watered the whole face of the ground. No rain, but a mist and possibly artesian wells that uh, cause it. Men lived a lot longer before the flood. The average age of the patriarchs before the flood was 912 years. So we don't know why that was, but perhaps a water canopy above the earth protected earth from the radiation of the sun. That would be speculative, but certainly interesting. But before the flood, people lived a lot longer. And then, you know, we've wondered where would that much water come to flood the entire earth? Well, first, we don't know how thick the canopy was above the earth. And there was water under the earth because the fountains of the deep broke free. Uh, it's been studied and speculated by the Creation Research Institute for Creation Research that if the earth were flat, it's probably never been flat, uh, round, but flat in its surfaces, no, not much topography, that there's enough water in the earth right now to cover the earth to a depth of 8,000 feet. So there's a lot of water here. But the Bible says the water came from above and beneath the surface of the earth. Genesis seven eleven, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day, of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. That's how the flood came. And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. It is possible that the flood caused massive earthquakes or that there were the fountains of the deep opened up and this condition, these conditions changed by the water canopy that maybe condensed and rain fell. Whatever God did, God, it makes sense scientifically and supernaturally for what God did. This catastrophic event that changed planet Earth in the great flood. We would not have had the same geologic makeup before the flood. Maybe during the flood, massive changes took place, including forming separate continents deepening of the trenches of the ocean, forming the radical topography of the earth. It's interesting that before the flood, and even people who believe in a really old earth and do not believe in God or the Bible, would say that the mountains arose at some time and the valleys were formed. Psalm 104, Genesis 8, refers to this. Uh, the stories of a flood are universal around the world. There are Something like 500 flood legends in all parts of the earth have been found. And many of them coincide at least somewhat to the Genesis account of the flood. 
When you read and study about it, it is fascinating. It is intriguing. There are questions not answered, lots of mystery. But to me, the more pressing issue is why, why was there a flood? Why would a good God who created men and women in his image and after his likeness destroy what he had created? Well, the first hint of judgment is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Maybe that's how many years left or future age. And the moral conditions of that world were deplorable, Genesis 6 and 5. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and there was so much wickedness that it affected the culture, Genesis 6, 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In Genesis 6 and in other scriptural references, we know a little bit about the moral conditions of the pre-flood world. Violence, corrupt flesh, God excluded from life, pursuit of evil continually, a lost sanctity of marriage, eating and drinking as if there was no tomorrow or didn't matter how you live, a loss of spiritual purpose, living for now. God regretted making man, and he had a plan to destroy all mankind. But in a world that was completely corrupt, there was one man out of the millions who walked with God and caught God's attention. I just want to say this, not part of my notes. I didn't say this on Sunday morning uh, on the first service, but it doesn't matter how many billions of people there are in the earth. If you raise your hand to God and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. God will see you. He will respond to you. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and you may feel like no one understands, but if you want to know God, you can know him, and you can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6 and 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect or blameless in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Can you imagine how much Noah stood out in a world that was corrupt, filled with violence? The imagination of the thoughts of men was on evil continually. But here is a man that did not buy in his culture. He did not capitulate to peer pressure. He did not give in to the cultural norms. Everybody went this way, but Noah walked with God. He went counter to his culture, but he went in a way that pleased the Lord. An entire world, Noah alone, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Hebrews eleven seven says that he was a man of faith. By faith, Noah being warned of God. He believed that when God said, I will destroy the world, that God meant what he said. And Noah didn't just have a mental assent. He didn't just believe God, but he acted on what God said. He had a fear that judgment was coming on the world. It was by faith, moved with fear, built an ark, saved his family, condemned the world, and was imputed righteous by the Lord. And your standing with God is not going to just be based on something you think 
It's going to be based on what you do about what you hear and what you see in the word of God. Noah prepared an ark to save his house, condemn the world. He was righteous, the Bible said, before God in his generations. Second Peter 2 and 5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We don't know a lot about what Noah preached, but I have a feeling he preached, repent, for the end is coming. Repent, God is going to destroy the earth. I'm building this monstrosity that doesn't make any sense to anybody, but it's the way that God will save the world. And if you're not on the boat, you're not going to be spared. I don't know what he preached, but he was a preacher of righteousness. And even though the world did not respond to the preaching of Noah, Noah did what he could. He saved his family. Genesis 7, 7. And Noah went in the ark and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. After the ark, after the flood, Noah built an altar. He sanctified it to the Lord. And God blessed Noah in Genesis 9 and his sons. And from them, the earth was replenished. God blessed them to multiply the earth. I want to give a summary of Noah's life. I've already mentioned this, but he was perfect and upright. He was righteous. He was a man of faith, a man of obedience. He preached righteousness to his generation. He saved his family. He understood sacrifice and God honored what he did. First Peter chapter three, verse 20 looks back on this story. And the apostle Peter is talking about the coming judgment of God on the earth. He said, which sometime were disobedient. That's Noah's generation. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The apostle Peter will make the comparison to water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ as God's means of separating you from sin and your past and separating you to God. The ark separated Noah from a world that was being destroyed and baptism will separate you from your sinful past and judgment to come. It's mind-boggling to think of thousands, millions of people who died in the flood How could a good God, a loving God, all my life you've been faithful, I will think of the goodness of God. How could a God destroy an entire world and only save eight people? Sometimes we wonder about the people around us and the mercies of God. What I would like to tell you is that you need to get to know the God of the Bible, not the God of your imagination. You need to know that our God is a consuming fire, that Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven, that he came to save us from our sins and from judgment. He gave us a chance, a space to repent. But if you don't, there's coming judgment. The miracle The crazy part is not that God judged and destroyed the world. The amazing thing is that he saved eight people and did not destroy everyone. How would God do it? Well, he said, build an ark, a gigantic boat, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, a total volume of 1,500,000 cubic feet, gross tonnage exceeding 14,000 tons. The ark had a deck space of 97,700 square feet, the equivalent of about 20 college basketball courts, according to Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. It would carry 35,000 vertebrates, the average size of like a sheep, 
some bigger, some smaller. Just to give you a comparison, all of the animals that were on the ark could fit on 150 train box cars. But the ark had a carrying capacity equivalent to over 520 box cars on a train. There was plenty of room on the ark for all the animals, for Noah and his family, and plenty of food to last them the entire time they were there. A horizontal window evidently around the ark and a single door to get in and to get out. How did Noah get all the animals in? Did he have to get a lasso and get his boys and go out there? The Bible says that God was to bring, he would bring every sort. Noah was to bring them into the ark. Fowls, cattle, creeping thing that went on the earth. Get enough food for you and all of them for the entire time. Clean animals by sevens, not by twos. Fowls and things that walk on the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 7, the Bible says that all of them went two and two unto Noah into the ark. In a children's Bible, you've probably seen a picture of them lined up, male and female, winding down some path, going into the ark. Isn't it amazing that animals have little more intuition than human beings do? They can sense the change in barometric pressure and moon phase, and every hunter or fisherman understands that animals know when that barometric pressure is changing, that something God did in the mind and heart or whatever of every animal that they came to Noah in the ark. But outside the ark and all around in civilization, there were men and women that continued to live evil lives and did not obey the preaching of Noah and the warning that he had given them. But the animals came two by two and by sevens unto Noah into the ark. Wow. What a story. Wouldn't it be cool in heaven if God set up a giant theater and we could watch the history of the world play out? And God would show us how it happened. Just a request. Hundred and twenty years, and then God gave Noah a seven-day warning. Now, this is later in my notes, but when Jesus comes back for His church, it will be in the twinkling of an eye. He will come as a thief in the night. The world did not have a warning, but Noah had a seven-day warning from God, according to Genesis seven and four. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 39 of the world outside and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall also the coming of the son of man be. Genesis seven thirteen. in the selfsame day, Noah entered Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife. And the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. And then Genesis seven sixteen, And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And everything, everybody that's going to be saved is on the ark. There was no draw cord, evidently, for Noah to shut the door. But God shut the door and shut them in. The Bible speaks of a time when the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And the door of salvation will be closed by God on the church dispensation. In Noah's day, in the antediluvian day, when God said it is time and everyone was on the ark that would get on, God shut the door. I thought of this as I was preaching this morning. I'll get to it later. But it was waterproof 
on the inside and on the outside. But Noah could not have waterproofed the outside of the door after it was shut. Maybe he had a a bucket of tar to get the inside. But I just wonder if God took care of that last little detail of waterproofing the door. But nonetheless, we stick with the Bible. God shut the door. And when the door was shut, no one else could get on the ark. And I pause now to tell you that when God is finished with this generation, with this generation, and the door is shut, there will be no more opportunity to be saved. That's why we preach this is a day that the Lord has made. We preach today is a day of salvation, that you need to repent while you can, for you do not know the day or the hour. Don't think that you've got forever to get right with God. Don't wait to another season of your life. The Lord shut them in. Genesis 7, 11, 600th year of Noah's life, second month, 17th day of the month, the same day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. The windows of heaven opened. The rain was upon the earth 40 days. And 40 nights can have not imagine the sound if they had never heard rain, but it sounded like pounding on the wooden roof of the ark. And then after 40 days, the Bible says in Genesis seven seventeen, and the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare up the ark and it was lifted upon the earth as the waters rose that ark began to maybe kind of lurch some and and it was lifted up above the earth and the waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth and the ark went upon the face of the waters noah had faith in god but i have a little sneaking suspicion that he breathed a big sigh of relief when it floated. Built by God's design, right? Now the ark could float because of the dimensions that God gave it. And I read some fascinating things about the ark that it would have been very difficult to capsize the ark. As ships go, it had a ratio of length times width, times height of 30, times five, times three. And according to shipbuilders, this ratio demonstrates an advanced knowledge of shipbuilding since it is the optimum design for stability in rough seas. Now that doesn't surprise me because Noah did not design the ark. God designed the ark. The problem with man-made salvation is that it is not reliable. It is not in man to know his way. You cannot concoct salvation, but God knows what he's doing. I read that the ark would have had to have been tilted. I've been on the ocean a lot of times. 90 degrees for it to have been capsized. The ark was not designed to sail. It was designed to float. God did not give Noah a helm to steer it. It was guided by God. But the boat floated when the floods came. And the most important thing about what you're building in your life, in your family, is in the judgment of God. That it will keep you from the judgment when it comes. Will this boat float? Build an ark. Genesis seven eighteen. the waters rose higher and higher above the ground. The boat floated safely on the surface. And finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet, 15 cubits, the Bible says in the King James, above the highest peaks of the earth. Now, if the earth was flat, and I'm not asserting that it ever was flat, there was enough water on the earth to cover the earth now to a depth of 8,000 feet. So there's a lot of water on the earth. With the mountains not yet pushed up to their greatest height, the story of the flood is reliable and amazing. 
The high mountain ranges like Everest stands over 29,000 feet. Would not have been that tall before the flood. Mount Everest, the Himalayan range, the Alps, the Rockies, the Appalachians, the Andes, most of the world's other mountains, if you study them geologically, are composed of ocean bottom sediments full of marine fossils laid down by the flood. The top 3,000 feet of Mount Everest is made up of sedimentary rock packed with seashells and other ocean-dwelling animals. And you don't have to read it or hear it from a preacher. You can read a non-biblical source to know that is true. Now, geologists who are atheists have their theory how that was formed. But we know a God who knows what he's doing, and we trust his word to be true in every way, even scientifically. Sedimentary rock is formed in water, and it is found all over the earth. There are rock layers that cover an extensive area, including most of Asia. Petrified clams in their closed position are found all over the world to testify that they were rapidly buried while they were still alive, even near the summit of Everest. They give an indication of a cataclysmic flood when God destroyed everything. This is an amazing understanding of what God did. But inside the ark is Noah, eight souls. And outside the earth is worldwide judgment. The Lord said, behold, I will bring a flood of waters on the earth. This is Genesis 6, 17. To destroy all flesh, wherein is a breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. Genesis 7, 21. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man and in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the, on the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both of man and cattle, of creeping things, the fowl of the heaven. They were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark. Genesis 7.24 says that for 150 days, the waters prevailed upon the face of the earth. There's much more information and detail in the Bible about the flood. But when it was over, the Lord opened the door and he told Noah to go forth. It was 370 days on the ark and all of Noah's family was saved, came out from the ark, repopulated the earth. Speaking of future judgment, the apostle Peter noted that God did not spare the old world. But he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, and bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with me? Is that just ancient history? Is that just what happened then? Or is it speculation or biblical fable? I want to suggest three things today for you and your family. First of all, you need to build an ark to save your family. In our local church, we're taking significant steps to ensure the future of this church for the next generation. But I've said we're not just building a bigger building. We want to be a church that needs a bigger building. We know that all of Metro Atlanta can't come here but we can go there from here. We can take the gospel to the whole world of Metro Atlanta. But while we're doing what we can as a church, and we can do better, and we try to improve it all the time, no matter how good we try to be as an organization, what I cannot do, what our ministerial team cannot do, what small groups cannot do, we cannot build an ark for your family. 
It is a family affair to make up your mind as a husband and wife, as a family leader in your family, that no matter what happens to the rest of the world, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to do what I can to build an ark. It is my responsibility. The onus is on me. I must build an ark. Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, this is our text. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Move with fear. Fascinating to me, and I preached about the fear factor of faith one time. By faith, move by fear. They can go together. If your faith gives you an understanding that there is something to fear and a way to get around what God is going to do by judgment, if you'll fear God and believe God. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. This ark is made of gopher wood, cypress or cedar. It's got rooms for animals and rooms for people and it's got waterproofing on the inside and the outside. First Peter 3 and 20, remember compared with baptism, says the ark was a preparing it was a way to get us from an earth that is going to be destroyed to an earth that will be preserved. The church is a means to get you from an earth that is going to be judged to a heaven forever and ever. It is a means upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I just want to apply this for a moment that the church is God's ark in this day. The church is God's means, God's means of salvation. You've got to get in the truth and get in God's church. The ark was a preparing to save those eight souls. And baptism is a figure that is like the ark to save us. I don't know that the ark would win, win any design awards for, for beauty. I don't know if Mrs. Noah decorated it, painted it. I don't know that it was really pretty. And our new sanctuary is going to be very beautiful. But that's really not why it will be there. It's not there to be pretty. It's there to save you. The church, we hope you like the church. That the sound is good, the light is good, the temperature is good. We know it's, for some people it's always too loud, not loud enough, too cold, not cold enough, too hot, not hot enough. There's always going to be some imperfection in the church. Maybe there was a splinter on the ark. I don't know. But here's one thing the ark was designed to do. It was designed to save your soul. And the church is designed to save your soul through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Build an ark to save your family. We're not building a memorial. We're building an ark. Can't be a pastime. It's got to be your passion. Has to be more important than vocation, career, retirement, pursuit of pleasure, hobbies, all of those things can be good in their place. But the priority is Jesus Christ and salvation and building an ark that will save your family from the coming judgment of God. When time ends and eternity begins, nothing will matter but that you are saved. Hebrews eleven seven again, built an ark, just the middle phrases, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. If he was a preacher of righteousness, as the Bible says, many other people had a chance to be saved. But if everyone else Noah preached to, it's obvious that those closest to him respected him and believed him. And listen to what he said. They were not like Lot, whose sons-in-law thought he was joking around when he talked about coming judgment. No matter what you leverage into your life, make sure you build an ark that in the end, you save your family. 
Don't turn to the left hand or the right hand. Build an ark. Second thing. Build it according to God's design. All right, he told you the ark demonstrates advanced shipbuilding expertise. Only God would have known that in that day. Nothing had ever been built like it. But God had a plan. Genesis 6.14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark. Pitch it within and without. The Lord said, here's my design. Just do it. I believe every family in this church, every single person wants to go to heaven. Nobody ever woke up any day and said, you know, my chief desire in life is for my family to go to hell. I know there's a lot of people that don't believe in a literal burning hell. But the Bible teaches its reality. Nobody in our world would say, I want my kids to be strung out on drugs. I want them to be messed up by immorality. I want my kids to go to hell. Nobody really wants that. But only people who build an ark by God's plan are going to be spared the judgments of God. You've got to build it by the Bible. You've got to build it by the new birth of water and spirit. You've got to build it by obeying, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You've got to build it by cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You've got to build it by come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. You've got to build them like Noah did by walking with God. You've got to walk with God in your generation. Build it by God's design. That's a little restrictive. Why didn't Noah have some creative liberty that he could have changed the design? That was not Noah's prerogative. And I will tell you that you may think that the gospel is narrow. And I will agree with you it is narrow. Jesus did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said that the way to salvation, you've got to go through a narrow door, a skinny door, through a narrow way that leads to life everlasting. But Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many people are going that way. You may think it's a little narrow, but if it gets you to heaven, if it saves you from the judgment of God, it's just wide enough for you to get through. Build it by God's plan. Amen. I want to assure you that God doesn't have a popularity contest. We're not going to take a vote on who goes to heaven. If it's only eight souls, he'll save eight souls. He doesn't care how many get in the boat. Everyone, whosoever will, can get in the boat. But you can't be saved outside the boat. You've got to get in the boat by the door of salvation to be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This gospel is for everyone who believes. Build an ark and build it by God's plan. Build an ark, build it by God's plan. Third thing, seal it on the inside and the outside. The Lord told Noah, this is fascinating to me. Waterproof the ark. This is Genesis 6, 14. Make an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make it in the ark. And I want you to pitch it, waterproof it. Tar is probably what was used. Within, without, with pitch. Pitch it with pitch. I mean, God's being a little redundant. For all the things he didn't say, and they're not in the Bible, you know, about every little detail of the ark. Is it secured by pegs or nails and all of that? He says, here's something really important, Noah. You've got to waterproof it on the inside. You've got to waterproof it on the outside. That's a lot of extra work, a lot of extra materials. Um, It's not a matter of this or that. It's this and that. Inward holiness and outward holiness. Protect your family from the inside. Protect your family from the outside. Don't get by with the minimum. If you want to go buy a few more buckets of tar, Go ahead. The Lord didn't tell him how thick to make it. 
He just said, make sure you waterproof it on the inside and on the outside. Make sure every crevice, every crack is filled. Amen. Seal it on the inside. Inside your family, make sure that your family is godly, prayerful, into the word of God. Build your family around the church. Everything you can do on the inside to seal it up so nothing comes in. Seal it on the inside. You could say, well, he could have just sealed it on the outside, but God said seal it twice on the inside and the outside. Not rocket science. Get a bunch of tar. Find every split, every crack, every seam between every board. Time consuming. You got plenty of time. God doesn't give you too little time. He gives you just enough time. And we need to have a Christ-centered home that is watertight against the seepage of sin. Grandparents, parents, Family heads, single adults, build it on the apostolic faith. You've heard me say this in baby dedications and recently. I want to do what I can. I know that you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But as a father and a grandfather, I want to make sure that I seal it on the inside. So when our grandbabies have been born, all eight of them down to Elowen, who stepped out for a few minutes. <laughs> When I held them for the very first time, I did not say, go dogs. I didn't say, roll tide or whatever. I didn't say, go Falcons, go Braves. There's a lot of things in life that are okay. I'm not preaching against everything right now. But I'm preaching about what is most important. So for them... I held them in my arms and the first words I said were here, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. And then I said, then Peter said unto them, I didn't say it that loud. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. They're a little baby. I don't want to freak him out. And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I didn't say that over my grandbabies because it's my job. I said it because I believe it to my core that it is God's plan of salvation for this generation. And there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to seal it on the inside. And I want to seal it on the outside. How do you apply that? What's the stuff that's trying to get to your family from the outside? What humanistic philosophies? What secular influences? What subtle teaching? What is trying to invade your home? You know this about water. I've learned this by experience. It can find the tiniest crack. I used to work at Gateway, president of Gateway College of evangelism. We had large sheets of, of, uh, of stucco of, that just blew off the walls from hydrostatic pressure where the water would seep in through the bricks. It was an old monastery back in the day and you'd walk over in a hallway and there'd be a big piece of plaster, plaster laying on the floor. How did that happen? It seeped in from the outside. We need to spend tens of thousands of dollars on tuck points and try to seal, seal it from the outside. You've got to seal your family from the outside to the best of your ability. You've got to find where is a devil trying to sneak in my house? Where are false teachers trying to infiltrate the mentality? Where are the philosophies and vain deceits that are trying to corrupt the simplicity which is in Christ? Seal it on the outside. Media decisions. He's going to educate your kids. What's their worldview? What do they believe about the flood? There's some stuff that we can avoid that will waterproof it on the outside. I realize that every person must make their own choice. I've seen some families beat their children with the gospel, the church, and drive them away. 
But on the other ditch, there's ditches on either side of the road. I've seen families be really laid back. And they decided they'd let their own kids, their kids, grow up and decide for themselves. If you have a Bible, you know that that is a joke. Train up a child in the way he should go. Let these commandments be in your heart. Teach it to your children diligently. We are taught to train our children. It is your responsibility to build an ark. Build it by God's design. Seal it on the inside. Seal it on the outside. It's okay to use a little more waterproofing. That is required. I'd rather be safe than sorry. 120 year window, seven day warning. Matthew 24, 37. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Life is normal until the day that Noah entered the ark. And knew not until the flood came, took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Our world bears many similarities as the days of Noah were. Violence, corrupt flesh, God excluded from life. The pursuit of evil continually. The lost sanctity of marriage. Eating and drinking, living for the now. Lost spiritual purpose. I do not know how long the Lord will allow the earth can, will continue. I don't know how long the Lord, I'll try that again, will allow the earth to continue. But God will not be unfair to Noah's generation. He will not be unfair to Sodom and Gomorrah or to the cities of Chorazin, as Jesus said. They did not have a Bible in Noah's day, but we do. And we know too much to be lost. But we know enough to be lost if we disregard it. And God will not spare this world as he did not spare that world. So as we end a month of focus on reviving relationships, to you and to your house, to your family, I encourage you, I admonish you, that's a good preacher word, to build an ark, to build it by God's plan, and to seal it, waterproof it on the inside and the outside. The day that the Lord comes to take his church away, I want me and my house to be saved. Would you bow your heads and let's pray right now. Jesus, In a moment that we think not, you're coming back to take your church away. While American culture and the American church at large has been lulled to sleep by false alarms and the gradual erosion, Lord, of our values, we realize, Lord, that an avalanche of evil could be headed our way. A rising flood of judgment coming. I pray, oh God, that we would be ready to escape the things that are coming on the earth. That's what your word would declare. I pray, Jesus, that every person responsible of their station or season in life young or old, married or single that we would build an ark to save ourselves and our family. Whatever, Lord, does not belong on the ark, let's leave it outside. Let's get us and our babies, Lord, our family on this ark. Save ourselves from this crooked generation. In Jesus' name I pray.
Let's lift our voices to the Lord in prayer. He's spoken to us through preaching and now through the gifts of tongues and interpretation. A solemn word from the Lord. A solemn word from the Lord. A pivotal point for someone today. I believe what the Lord has just said, that someone is at a crossroads today in your life. You're either getting in or getting out of this ark. So today I call you to come in. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of decision to choose this day whom you will serve. Would you stand and would you begin to flood this altar? Bring your family, bring a friend. Come with all your heart praying to the Lord. That's it. Stand and come quickly. Move quickly. Would you lift your voice and pray? I need some intercessors now who would pray for people who are on the bubble today, who are, their souls are being weighed in the balance. 